Mac Power Users, episode 517, State of the iPhone. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, joined by my fellow co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Welcome to 2020, Stephen. Uh, we, we have made it around the sun one more time. There we go. I mean, I like I like the even years for some reason. Ever since I was a kid, you know, even I, I agree. Better with you. than odd. Were you born in in an even year? Yeah, I was. Yeah, me too. Maybe that's why. Maybe we feel like uh like everything's aligned nicely, you know. And I especially like the year twenty twenty because you know twenty twenty clarity of vision. I don't know, just like it lines up for me, pushes some buttons. It's a good year number. Like repetition, it's nice. I am excited about this year. Yeah. In fact, we, looking back at the last decade, we got celebrated a little bit over at 9to5Mac. They did a story on the top 10 podcasts of the last decade. Hey, they like us. They really like us. <laughs> yeah. Number three. And uh, I can't really argue with number two or number one on their list. So I think he did a great job. So thank you very much, Bradley. And I, I, I forwarded that link along to Katie. She wrote me back. Thumbs up. She was happy to see that we got some recognition, too. So you know, she's part of this. Absolutely. And, um, and it was great. So that was really nice. We'll put a link in the show notes, but that was kind of fun getting a little acknowledgement. You know, something we never really talk about on the show is re- requests for reviews, but it does help us find new listeners. If you, uh, if you like the Mac power users and you don't mind uh, spending a few minutes, giving us a review over on iTunes, we sure appreciate it. Yeah. I'll put that link in the show notes. People can go, go find it easily. Yeah. So today we're starting a series on the show that we've been talking about for about six months doing, and we just wanted to find the right time for it. And we thought the the new year would be the right time. So uh, the idea Stephen and I had was let's talk about the various Apple platforms. And we're going to do these state of a platform shows. We're going to separate them out by several months. We're not going to just like dump them all on you at once. But you know, we want to talk about the iPhone, the Mac, the iPad, probably online services is a separate one. But we just want to kind of talk about where Apple's been and where where they're going and and kind of re, uh, grade them a little bit, I guess, on how they're doing on these various platforms. And today's the first one of those. Yeah, I I love this idea because it, it's nice to sort of check in and see uh, where things are and kind of like in a, a, as a moment in time. And what's what's kind of wild in thinking about this because we've been talking about all these episodes sort of as a block, even though we're going to split them up over time, just really how mature so many of Apple's products and platforms really have become. And and even something yeah. newer, I'm doing air quotes, like the Apple Watch or the iPad, they've got several years under their belt now. You know, the Apple Watch has been around for five years. The iPad is coming up on 10, and which is mind-blowing. So it feels like a really good season to start this off. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, and the reason we're starting with the iPhone is because the iPhone is largely the big, you know, it is the biggest product that Apple makes. Mm-hmm. It is driving the bus. Uh, I t- spent a few minutes on Google and the first three quarters of 2019, we don't have the 2020 results yet, but in the, I'm sorry, the fourth quarter results yet, but the first three quarters, the iPhone sold $31 billion Whoa. worth of iPhone. It is 53.5% of Apple's business, so it's over half of Apple's business. Although that number is going down. It used to be a, even a higher percentage of yeah. Apple's business. And actually, that's a good thing. Um, I feel like for those years that it was the rocket ship and it was almost all of Apple's business, they spent all their attention on the iPhone and and you know the Mac and some of these other devices suffered. And now that's not as true, so they've got to pay attention to everything. 
Yeah, I I have been totally fine with balance being restored to the force a little bit here. Yeah. Oh, do you want to talk about Star Wars? We <laughs> can talk about the iPhone today. Okay, sorry. Sorry, man. Stay on target. You, can, you, you can't talk like that. To I know. Me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I dangled it in front of you. I'm sorry. <laughs> we should do something like that. I don't know when, but we, we should do something like that. Um, anyway, uh, Apple's still very much the iPhone company, and uh, that's the big product, so that's the first state of a uh, show we wanted to do. I don't know about you, but for me, the iPhone really was a mind bender when it showed up. I remember, and I, I don't, I've said this on the show before, I don't remember the guy's name, but there was a guy, he had a black turtleneck and pair of glasses, and mm-hmm. he did a bunch of introductory videos of the iPhone that got released a couple days before the original iPhone got released. Do you remember those? I do, yeah. I, was... I mean, they were Apple videos, they were on Apple's website. Mm-hmm. And because I was thinking, oh, I don't have $600 to spend on a phone. And, and I watched those videos and it sunk me. I was completely hooked. <laughs> I think I've told the story before, but during I was a, an Apple retail employee at the time the original iPhone came out and was announced. And I was actually on vacation during that Macworld keynote visiting family in like rural North Carolina and Virginia. So of course, the of course it was obviously before the iPhone, so I didn't know what was going on until I got back to like my aunt's house, and she had dial up, and like I checked my email, and I had an email from a friend of mine at the store, just basically like, "Holy cow! Like, can you believe this?" And I remember, like, on I guess would have been a PowerBook at the time, trying to load like the Apple.com slash iPhone web pages, which were like full of graphics. I remember they were black, like they looked yeah. really cool, and it totally blew my mind and this is you know i had used a newton for a long time and i'd used uh like a palm treo that was actually my current phone right before the iphone so i was sort of uh hip to the idea of of a a a smartphone or something that you carried with you an ultra portable device but that first iphone seemed like it just like it came from the future and just had landed here in the present all of a sudden yeah, well, I, I don't. I mean, I don't want to dwell on the past too much, but at the time, I had a a Palm. Is it Trio? Yeah, you know, it was mm-hmm. that was the one everybody had back then. But I had totally turned it into a Mac. I had like downloaded Apple icons, and I had basically hacked the thing to death. So it was like a Mac. You know, the it, it looked like a, a Macintosh if you looked at the screen. You know, it was great. <laughs> and uh, so I was, you know, I was interested, but. It was expensive, and then I saw those videos, and then I was sunk, and and that was the start of a beautiful relationship. But you know, at the beginning, Apple really it changed the world in terms of phones. Nobody had phones that had touchscreens. Uh, nobody had phones with a, an actual working browser. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but the Palm Trio browser was um, it was terrible. I was oh, going to yeah. say a word, but it would get us. It, we'd lose our clean tag. It was real bad. It it was it was I think Jobs calls in that keynote like the baby internet. <laughs> yeah, know? it was not good. I remember you'd go to a website and first you'd see a couple words like usually the links would show up, but just as plain text and it was just like it was it was terrible. Yeah, but um, you know, in fairness, the internet was a lot slower and the radios are slower and all that, but it was it was terrible. And and so Apple comes out with this phone. I remember reading a little later about a meeting at BlackBerry where they had the iPhone, they brought it into a board meeting, then somebody threw it on the table and said, this isn't real. They're, they, you know, like they didn't even believe it was possible, you know, which is why they lost. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, so Apple made this phone and they had this huge lead. 
uh, over the entire industry, but that was a long time ago. And um, now Google is in there making great operating systems. Last week, I spent several days with a Google phone knowing that we're making the show um, and uh, just to see, you know, what was going on on that side of the fence. I don't, I don't go over there too often and they're very good phones and the operating system is not, you know, the dumpster fire it was years ago. So how is Apple holding up? And, and that's something we want to talk about today. Yeah, it's amazing that in the the period of time since then, that it has become not only completely normal to have something like an iPhone, like, I, you know, I, I keep a current Android phone, like having something like that with you, but just it, it is hard to overstate how much the world has changed because of these devices. Like, I don't think you can overstate it because... It has created entire industries. It has equipped people to do things that just weren't possible before. It's it's really in the in the the world. There's few things that hold that sort of power. I think over culture. Yeah, it's, it's created industries and it's destroyed them as well. And mm-hmm. the um, you know, and, and I feel like I'm an enabler on this technology. But at the same time, if you listen to the Focus podcast, I'm really aware of the attention deficit problems that can result from having the internet in your pocket and, and actively trying to help people not get sucked into that black hole. But I mean, so it really, you're right that the iPhone changed everything. I mean, in a lot of ways, it may be a more momentous event than the personal computer was, you know, when we first started getting Macs and PCs and Ataris back in the day. I mean, I think this has cer- certainly affected a, a, a bigger percentage of society. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but we don't want to do too much navel gazing. We actually want to talk about the iPhone. And as we sit here in 2020, you know, where is it in comparison to its earlier iterations and its competitors and where is it heading? And to me, I think if we're going to talk about the iPhone at this point in history, one of the most important things to make note of is the processor. You know, you put this in the show notes first, and I, I'm not sure that I would have done it first. So what is your thinking? Why is this what you go to first? Well, I just think this is something that Apple has such a lead on. Mm-hmm. It's so important. I mean, the processor underlies everything. You know, we want it to do face recognition on device instead of in the cloud. That's not possible unless you have a killer processor in the device. And along the way... I vividly remember uh, driving, I was driving to work back when I worked at the jobby job and I was listening to a podcast. I want to say it's Ken Ray, you know, um, Mac OS Ken. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, of course. And his morning news show. And he was saying, Apple just bought a semiconductor company. And this was, I don't know, 2008, maybe 2009. But the um, they capitalized on that. They decided to make their own silicone and they did, you know, and the A13 processor, I guess it's the A13 Bionic that is out now, is just a killer chip to drive a phone on. Uh, there's a couple reasons why. Number one is it's devoted just to the iPhone. You know, when you look at these uh, processors they're putting on Android phones, they're made by a manufacturer that then sells it to the phone maker. And as a result, they try to make the chip to be very versatile, whereas the iPhone chip is made just for the iPhone. So it has exactly the number of inputs and outputs it needs. There is no cruft on that chip. So it can be, you know, maximize the processing speed. I remember that purchase and, you know, just thinking about about what it can mean. And, you know, so many times Apple 
buys a company or in any big tech company, they, they all do this. And you wonder kind of what the deal's about. But it seemed very clear that Apple was going to be really serious about controlling more and more of what went into the iPhone. And I think it's really paid off over the years. That that may be a, go down as one of their most important purchases, uh, maybe of all time. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we're openly talking now about them putting those chips into Macs. Yeah, right? It's it's wild. <laughs> if that comes true, then Apple will control its own destiny on the most expensive part in their computers. And I mean, well, we can talk about this on the state of the Mac show whenever we get around that. But it, I feel like it, it really can completely change the game. I mean, I was talking to uh, my old pal Gabe Weatherhead the other day, a frequent guest on the MPU. We, we do telephone calls. He says, what are you excited about? And I said, I, I'm excited to see what could happen if you put an ARM chip in a Mac. But anyway, um, on the iPhone, if you look at any benchmarks, it's just faster than the Snapdragon that they're putting in most Android phones. It compares to the MacBook Pro, you know, um, wow. You know, it, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing that, you know, we always think, well, the MacBook is obviously the more powerful computer. The other one's just a phone. And if you go back to the early days of the iPhone, the processor in the original iPhone felt like a hamster on a wheel, you know, mm -hmm. and that now we got like a rocket ship in this thing. And, um, but it can, it compares to the, to the, to the MacBook pro, um, in terms of processing speed, when you start looking at benchmarks, and I know there's a lot of ways to slice that onion, and that's not necessarily always true, but the fact that you can even have that conversation um, tells you something. And um, the thing that I think is really important, the question to ask really at this point is, okay, let's acknowledge Apple has a lead on all this stuff. What are they doing with that lead? You know, are they spending it wisely? Hmm. You know, I, th I think a lot about this because there's so much more to power than just just the numbers. And it feels like that the iPhone and the iPad, like they're so powerful. But I long for the software and third-party applications to be there to take better advantage of it. And and when you, especially when you think about like pro apps on the iPhone and iPad, there are some truly that are really pushing the limits of it. But there's it, it feels like there's so much just sitting there waiting to be lit up by software. And that's what makes me excited about it coming to the Mac. But yeah, it, it feels like, man, it, it, like, like at some point, is Apple just showing off? Like at some point, does it matter that it's so fast? Well, my argument would be that this is where they, they really need to double down. The, um, they have the lead here. They need to keep the lead and they need to use it in a way that's demonstrable to users. And I think they're trying to do that when they talk about the neural engine and all the artificial intelligence stuff that's happening on device. I mean, one of the narratives I think Apple wants to take into the next decade, which I think is a good one, is the emphasis on privacy. Because people are starting to wake up to exactly how little privacy we have with some of these devices, especially the ones that rely on cloud-based services. And some people, not everybody, is waking up to the idea that some of these companies are advertising companies more than their technology companies. And yeah. advertising companies need a lot of data on you in order to make money advertising. So I think people are starting to wake up to that. And Apple's argument is, yeah, like we are going to find all the pictures of dogs in your photos library, but we're not going to upload all your pictures to the, to the internet to figure that out. 
because our processor is so strong and because we have things like this neural engine, we can figure it out on your device for you without us ever knowing, you know, and that story is starting to come out. But I think that is where they're spending the extra capital or the extra processing speed they have. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, the, the discussion about software side, I, I'm, I want to talk about that. We'll get to it later. But the, um, you know, I, I, as we were planning the show, I was thinking, well, where would I spend it if I was Tim Cook? You know, if I had this extra processing speed over my competitors. And honestly, I think they probably picked a pretty good horse to bet on here. You know, the uh, it, put artificial intelligence on device and make sure that, you know, users know that they can have the convenience of that artificial intelligence without the inconvenience or the loss of privacy. I feel like they're not quite there yet. Like, you know, the voice to speech, the, I'm sorry, the voice to, to text dictation, the the photo analysis, all that stuff is is okay, but it hasn't, re, it hasn't really reached that point where it's just a natural thing and it always just works yet. So I feel like we're kind of in this precarious area. So um, I hope that Apple continues to push itself forward on the processor and speed so, because I think that is probably the bottleneck on a lot of this stuff so they can actually turn that that advantage in processing speed into an advantage in the market. That makes sense to me. Anyway, it's fast. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, they, you know, they put those charts up during the keynotes of like, they were so many times faster than the original iPhone. It's like the numbers don't even, in a way, don't even matter anymore. Like it's, it's a rocket ship, like you said. Well, you know, before we go on, I'd like to talk about our first sponsor for today, and that's our friends over at 1Password. And particularly because it's the new year, I'm a big fan of 1Password for families, and I wanted to share that with the audience. Now, if you go over to onepasswordcom slash MPU in all caps, you get 20% off your plan. And I got to admit, I didn't get the 20% off. I bought it full price before they gave us this discount. I guess I'll have to figure that out when I renew. But that 1Password for families is amazing. Uh, what it lets you do is set up your password accounts for your entire family. So you and your significant other can share like the banking login information without you having to share it with your kids. At the same time, if you've got the Netflix password and you need to pass it around your family, you can have a vault that has everybody access to it, put the Netflix password in there and you're good. When you go through and the, the clocks change and you follow Sparky's advice and you change a bunch of your passwords, they just get automatically updated across the board for your family. I think another really good thing about this, and I've seen it in my family, is my wife and my kids have way better password habits because we have one password. Once they started seeing how easy it was to create and fill in passwords using one password, they just started doing it. And anybody who spends the slightest amount of time with this stuff, even people who don't listen to Mac Power users, they're going to realize this is really valuable. So you set up a one password for families account and you make it really easy for your loved ones to get good password habits. And that's not all you get. You get that online storage, you get the, the secure vault on your device, you get so many great ideas here and, and great features with one password. Uh, I strongly recommend it. I'm a big fan. I'm a subscriber myself. Head over to onepassword.com slash MPU. Make it in all caps. That's the secret uh, recipe there to get that discount. You get 20% off and make you and your family safer in 2020. Thanks, OnePassword, for supporting the Mac Power users. The other side of the coin when it comes to performance and power is the battery life. And this year with the iPhones uh, 11 and 11 Pro, Apple delivered a big increase in 
battery life. Part of that was the design allowed for slightly bigger batteries. But as Apple continues to go down this road of their own custom uh, CPUs and GPUs and everything else, they can squeeze more efficiency out of those designs. So it's kind of a, a two-edged, you know, two-edged sword, I guess, that they can use there. But the battery life on the uh, the 11 Pro that I've got is just, it is noticeably better in day-to-day life. I don't even understand what happened this year because if we had <laughs> recorded this last year, I would say, yeah, they need to improve it. You know, it's been the same for a long time. And I don't know if Tim Cook played banjo with the devil or what happened, but this uh, iPhone now has crazy battery life. It's 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 fantastic. And, you know, I ended up picking up that battery case for travel, but I, I, I'm not sure that I actually needed to. Yeah. <laughs> I got it more for the camera button. <laughs> but the... Uh, it is great for like a full day at Disneyland or, or travel. You're right. But honestly, you, it, it, the, the new battery life, it's not like a small bump. It's a big bump. If you were getting into the red before you no longer getting into the red at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So uh, good on Apple for doing that. I, you know, I don't think they've ever fully explained everything involved, but I'm sure it's a combination of that custom arm chip uh, along with some really clever software that thinks about when it can, turn down the processing speed and dim the screen and do whatever it takes to, you know, squeeze every ounce of life out of that battery. Mm-hmm. But good on them. Uh, I'm glad they're continuing to do it. Now I think what we need is we need a battery revolution. You know, you keep hearing about all this new battery technology in labs that is just crazy, you know, um, better than what we've got currently. Um, you know, it's got to get something that you can mass produce something that, you know, isn't going to cost an arm and a leg, but I I suspect that that's down the road and I'm ready for that. I'm sure that when we sit on this show in 10 years recording the battery life will be something we laugh at, you know, remember when we had to get those cases, you know, that kind of thing. Oh yeah. That'd be great. Um, another thing, the iPhone that's important to the iPhone is the camera. I mean, I I know from my own personal observations of my family is that they buy new iPhones not based on processor speed or battery life. They buy new iPhones on based on the cameras. You know, when they see that, that the new iPhone takes you know significantly better pictures, then it's time for them to upgrade. I think it's a huge draw for a lot of people, especially those who it may be their only camera, which I think is true for most people. You know, there there, there will always be some of us who who like cameras and lenses and those things. But for almost everybody else, this has just completely consumed, you know, the consumer camera market. Like you said, this 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 single product has created and destroyed whole uh, whole markets, whole uh, industries. And yeah. the point and shoot camera is is effectively gone because now you can just have this thing in your pocket that does everything and takes incredible photos and video. And now the SLRs are looking over their shoulder too. You know? Yeah, I, th- I think so. And the thing that ha- that really stands out for me with the iPhone is is the video. I mean, you look at some Android phones, like I've got a Pixel 3a, and it takes excellent photos. The night mode is really good, but it really falls down when it comes to video. Apple's really the only uh, manufacturer who is really nailing both photos and video capture, uh, you know, in a single device. And I don't do a ton of video on my phone. I got friends and family who do. But I like that it can really shine there and shoot really nice looking 4K video when I need it. Yeah, 
well, I, I think even the still photos are, are great. And oh, yeah. this year, I, I sound like a fanboy, but trust me, there's some things I don't like about the iPhone. You'll hear about it. Um, but the <laughs> uh, but this year, the, the night mode, the camera improvements with the new iPhone Pro, um, you know, with that wide lens, which I thought I'd never need and now I use all the time. Um, it just, it really is a, a great year for the iPhone and it's in great shape right now. Also, I would just want to hand it to the iPhone because we make fun of Apple uh, homegrown software all the time, but I feel like the camera team has continued to refine that camera app, make it fasting to load or fast to load, um, you know, bringing in a lot of features that we want. And I take a lot of pictures still in the camera app. I mean, I've been trying them all out for this uh, photos field guide I'm working on, but the camera app, I do keep coming back to it because it's, it's still a solid app. Yeah. I've played with other ones and, and I, like you said, I always go back to the the first party one. And I think that's an important metric. I remember in the early days of the iPhone, they would talk about how much time it took from the time you tap the icon, you time you tap the shutter to when the picture takes, when you can take a second or a third picture. All that stuff really matters. So if you're trying to get a shot of your pet or your kid or, or you know, a car going by, whatever it may be, like milliseconds count there. And I think Apple really sweats that. You know, something I'd be really curious to see is how many people does Apple have working on that camera between the camera hardware and the software? I have heard from people on the inside that that team is a lot larger than you would think it is. Yeah, I, I would. you got to think so. I mean, it's so complicated. You know, when you take a single picture, about a billion things are happening, like literally a billion things. And they do all these measurements, and they figure out all these things, and then they process it really quickly. It's got to be a massive effort. Well, I think it's money well spent because, like I said, I Me think too. <laughs> the camera sells phones. Yeah. What do you think about where the iPhone is currently as far as its industrial design? You know, I think if you look at the iPhone 11, 11 Pro, and you sort of take your glasses off and take take a step back, like very clearly, it is. Uh, a direct descendant of the iPhone 6 and, and you know, those rounded edges. And yes, lots has changed, but it's still sort of that same feel in your hand. How do you feel like that's aging? Do you feel like there's some, there's time, it's time for a change? Yeah, I, I'm not a super fan of this design. I wasn't a fan of the, you know, I, I don't hate it, but it's just, it's kind of blah to me, you know? Um, and it's, it's very probably practical for what it is. But I liked the bolder designs they've done in the past. We just talked about this last week, but I I really like the iPhone 4. I think that continues to be my favorite iPhone in terms of the design. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see them get a little braver. I think it's hard now that, the, that it's so big. You know, the phone is so big and they sell so many of them. I mean, big in terms of quantity. Right. That it's harder to take risks, you know, but... I would like to see them, you know, go the direction of the iPad Pro. Me too. Uh, I really love that design. And my, my really my only complaint with the current industrial design is that those rounded edges, they are a little bit slippery. Um, I miss the days where you could even sit the iPhone like up on its edge and take a photo like you could in the four and five days. So I would like a kind of a return to a boxier design. But I think it's held up well. And I think that they've really taken what was good about like the six and the success and have continued to improve those things. Like if you look back at the iPhone six, it's kind of ugly. Like the antenna lines are really bold and it was like a weird camera bump. And 
uh, <laughs> actually wrote this last week where I did this thing where I picked like the device of the decade in a bunch of different categories. And I picked the iPhone 6. Uh, and something I wrote in there was like the iPhone 6 broke the seal with camera bumps. And now they just feel like they can do what they need to do to make the camera good. But that was weird with the iPhone 6, but it normalized it and they've improved it. But I, d- I agree with you. I think it's probably time for a new era to begin here pretty soon. You know, I, I, I like it even less than you do. I just don't care for it. It feels to me very kind of vanilla, I guess. You know, I mean, it's like, I wish they would have, I just wish they would have done more with mm-hmm. the design. Uh, I'm just not that big of a fan. of. I'd like to see something more interesting. Apple is known for industrial design, and this looks like every other phone on the market. Now, I don't know if that's because every other phone copied it, but I'm not really sure that's true with this design. I feel like there are a lot of phones in this direction when this showed up. Yeah. Um, uh, what I am not going to criticize them about is the, um, what do you call the thing where the camera cluster is on the iPhone? The uh, Yeah, it's like, it used to be called a camera bump, but now it's like a camera plateau. I don't know. It's it's a big yeah. area now. No, I think that's worth it. And I also think that the, um, what is it, the, um, on the front of the phone, the, you know, the face ID. The notch. The, yeah. The notch. I understand why the notch is there. I, I would prefer it not be there, but. I'm okay with it. I'm I'm not really that critical of that. I don't even really see it anymore, but mm-hmm. I just don't care for the overall design of the phone. I, I think that's something they could improve on. Yeah. And all of my knowledge of industrial design. <laughs> <laughs> he's on it. He's going to change it. Yeah. If you run your phone in dark mode, you, uh, you don't see the notch very often because <laughs> the screen yeah. is always black. And the yeah. reality is I think 90 something percent of people put their iPhone in cases and that balances out the camera bump and anything on the back. I agree with you. I'm willing to live with the camera bump because what this phone can do is so compelling that like, I'm willing that it looks a little strange and that it's way better in a case. Uh, that That's that's fine by me. But part of design too is, I think, especially with mobile products, is reliability. And, you know, this is a, uh, it's a sandwich where there's butter on, you know, both sides of the yeah. toast or whatever, right? There's glass on the yeah. front and back and, it can be expensive to repair, especially the back, because you basically got to replace the whole phone. You know, I, I've broken, we've talked about this, I've broken my fair share of phones. I have uh, resigned myself to the fact that I need to, I need to use a case, man. And I use a case almost all the time. But it is, overall though, I feel like for for what it is, the iPhones are, pretty reliable. I mean, if, yeah, if you drop it, of course it's going to break, but I can't tell you the last time I had an issue with a camera failing or the earpiece not working or, you know, the, the mute switch not working. I mean, in the early days, sure. But in the past, I don't know, four five, six iPhones I've had, I haven't had any failures beyond something that I caused by being silly. I feel like the, if anything, the, the glass is stronger and better than ever. I, uh, I think you guilted me into putting my phone back into a case on a show a month or two ago. <laughs> and Probably. in in between, I had a wipeout uh, when I was out riding and my phone was in my pocket when it, when I crashed, but I found my phone like 10 feet away from me. Oh no. Know? It just went flying and it was on the, the, uh, the, the sidewalk. So mm-hmm. I thought, uh, this is going to be bad, right? Right. There's no damage. I mean, the phone, took it it was in one of the apple clear cases but i feel like a few years ago that would have involved a trip to the apple store oh yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's like a given right yeah um but yeah i think as i think they've gotten really good at building these things and 
failures are basically just human error at this point, not necessarily, you know, some sort of component issue. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but when I think back about how many like iPhone 3Gs I went through because the headphone jack died or the camera just stopped working or, you know, the touchscreen stopped responding, you know, those sorts of things, I think for the most part are well in the past. Or when you were a genius, how many phones came in that got slightly wet and it ruined them? Oh, yeah, tons of them. And and now they're relatively waterproof. Uh, I wish Apple would stand by that in the warranty. We've talked about that in the past. But yeah, I mean, they're definitely, you can get it wet and it's it's it should be okay, right? And it's sort of everyday life. And that that's, and that has saved people a ton of money and time, I'm sure. Yeah, it went, another, we went to, when we went on vacation, there's a really cool pool where we stay and my daughter and I were super excited about it. And so when we got there, I just jumped in, you know, <laughs> because we were there and like, let's do it. Let's go. As we jumped yeah. in and I'm like, Oh, wait a second. My phone is in my pocket. <laughs> yeah. I realized this like a few minutes after I'm in the water. No, it's no problem. You know, <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. It's yeah. very freeing. You don't have to, you don't have to stress about it. Yeah. Uh, what about, compatibility how's apple doing on making these devices that'll last for a while and it'll you know work with the most current software i think overall i think they do they're doing a really good job ios 13 dropped uh, support for the iphone 6 so it, now it is compatible back to the 6s and the se the se remember is basically the 6s inside yeah and i think that's that's fantastic if you look at the other side of the fence a lot of Android phones get very few updates. It takes a long time. You know, with Apple, as soon as it's available, you can install it. Uh, I don't understand why other companies haven't gotten there yet. Google's getting there with their phones, but, you know, OnePlus is getting there. If you buy a Samsung phone, like, good luck. Uh, so that uh, I applaud them for. And I think phones are lasting longer than they did previously for all the reasons we just mentioned, power, battery life, uh, reliability. And that means that you can run it, you know, until the the OS support runs out or even past it. I did a little uh, research over the holidays with my family members. Uh, I found a family member running an iPhone 6S, uh, 7 and 8, so a couple of few different people, and asked them, you know, why they hadn't upgraded yet. And it, it was really fascinating, the, uh, their answers. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people like, well... Uh, why would I upgrade? This is still working great, you know, to our previous point that these iPhones last a long time now. And then there's always things like people want to stay with Touch ID. They don't want a larger phone, that sort of thing. But I think people can very happily run an iPhone for years and years and not run into any major trouble. Yeah. And if you do, you can get a battery put in it pretty cheaply, you know, if that if that becomes an issue. Until they look at pictures taken by a more recent iPhone. And then... <laughs> that's true. That, that'll that get you. And, you know, that, that's what got my wife on the iPhone SE. She wanted better pictures. or so she went to the iPhone 8. And, you know, now she's kind of waiting to see what happens there. But I think all in all, you can comfortably use an iPhone for three, four or five years and and be totally fine. You don't have to upgrade every two years like we used to. I'll tell you something I was very critical of Apple in years past, which I would give them good marks now, is that the base memory in the new iPhones is no longer 16 gigabytes and ridiculous. Every iPhone for sale today starts at 64 gigabytes of storage. And you can start with the iPhone 8 at 449. This is US dollars, you know, off contract, full price. 449 for the iPhone 8. You can get an iPhone 
10R for five ninety nine, an eleven for a hundred dollars more than you know the pros start at a thousand. They're a lot more expensive, but all yeah. of them start at sixty four gigabytes. And while I would argue that the Pro and the Pro Max should start have bigger base storage because the price is so high, I think sixty four gigs is pretty comfortable for most people. Yes, most people are still going to need to to pony up for iCloud to get those photos you know off the off the device safely. But it's way better than it used to be. And I think that, um, like, I, I applaud Apple for that, that even on this, like, $450 iPhone 8, they, they didn't cut it back down to 32 Because that, that would just be uh, untenable. And you can buy one as low as $450. So they, I think they're in the, you know, they're, they're competitive with their pricing. As competitive as Apple will ever be. Yeah, the the whole industry's gotten gotten silly. And like and don't hear what we're not saying. Like the iPhone 11 Pro and Pro Max are really expensive and I wish that they were not <laughs> I wish that they were cheaper than not the 999 starting price. I can't do anything about that, but they do a good job of keeping older phones in the lineup. Look, the iPhone 8, like I said my my spouse has one. It's still fantastic. It's got the camera from the iPhone 10. It, she's still getting excellent battery life out of it. She's very happy with it. And, you know, it's a couple of years old, but it's really holding its own way more than, you know, if you had an iPhone 6 or an iPhone 5S and a couple of years in, you would, you know, it would really feel like it was uh, becoming an issue for you. But then at the same time, you think, okay, let's say you get the iPhone Pro Max starts mm-hmm. at 1100 bucks, but you're going to put, you know, you're going to increase the memory. So you're in for $1,200. It's yeah, that's too much money. <laughs> but let me, let me tell you, this is the best part. You still have to pay for phone photo storage. Like even, even, you know, you, you may still have to pay a dollar a month for photo storage after you spent $1,200 on this phone. <laughs> it just, I mean, did they like sit around and like, were they like, was this a drinking game that led to this scenario? I, I don't know how this happens when someone spends that much money on a phone and you still make them pay for iCloud storage. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh. All right. Let's, uh, let's take a break. And then uh, talk about software. All right. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends over at Squarespace. It's a new year. A bunch of us have new projects. And Squarespace is really the all-in-one place to get that started. If your project's going to be online, just think about the components, the, the sections of a website you may need. It's far beyond just those basic pages we used to have. You're, maybe we'll have an online store or a blog or a podcast or a portfolio. Squarespace lets you build all of those things all under one roof. And the best part is there's nothing to install. You don't have to run a server somewhere. You don't have to worry about software patches. Squarespace has got it covered. And they have award-winning 24-7 customer support. If you need uh, any help at all, if you have any questions, they are there for you. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your work across a range of device sizes. Anytime I help somebody with a website, Squarespace is where I go because all these tools mean you can build a website all in one place. You don't have to pull in these different projects and figure out how to do it yourself. It's all just there. You can use the features you need and the ones you aren't using. They don't get in your way. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash MPU. And when you use the offer code MPU, you'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name. 
Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU and the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. I'd like to thank Squarespace for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So, software. We have to talk about iOS 13, don't we? Yeah, we do. Oh, boy. I, I, I don't know why you say that. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give, I will give Apple this. iOS 13 had a rough start. There's no doubt about that. But I feel like where we are today at the beginning of the year, it feels pretty solid. I think they've really worked out the majority of the issues they were having with it. Yeah, they, uh, they, they took on a lot with iOS 13, which we all wanted them to do. And it turns out they weren't able to deliver it all on day one. And some of it got delivered in pretty bad shape. But it does seem like things are kind of pulling together. But it, it is, I mean, you're going to make this great hardware. You've got these great chips. You have to make the software to go with it. And, you know, going back to the roots of the iPhone, the reason iPhone, the reason Apple ate everybody's lunch when the iPhone came out was because they were a software company. You know, I don't think BlackBerry was capable of making an operating system like Apple did. And, and I do worry that they're losing touch with that, that the software is not keeping up with the hardware. Yeah, I've worried about that because there are parts of iOS and and the applications that ship on top of it that just feel stagnant. And yeah. I know it's a big project. They have a lot of things to work on and they can't touch everything all the time. But think about something like Notes and just the unbelievable attention it, it has gotten over the years. It's gotten better and better and better. I wish they could spread that magic around to, to even more of the components of iOS. Yeah, I agree. You know, I guess let's just take it kind of in pieces. Just as a phone operating system, it's always been fairly stable. I mean, you can make calls, you can send text messages, all the communication stuff has been pretty good. I'd argue that the um, that they they're doing pretty good with that kind of stuff. The the fact that the thing keeps running forever. I mean, uh, when I have friends that have iPhone problems, I say, "When's the last time you turned it off?" Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, months. You know? Yeah. They don't remember, and mm-hmm. and that you know, making a computer system that can run nonstop for ninety days—that's not trivial, you know. So no, I, I mean honestly, I think probably most of the time, the most recent time I restarted my phone was the last time there was a software update for it. I mean seriously, yeah. I just I never turn it off, and that—if you told somebody ten years ago that even a computer, like even a laptop hey, you'll be able to run it for 90 days without a reboot. Like yeah. they would think that you were, you know, from some different planet because that's not how things yeah. worked. Yeah, exactly. And then then you start breaking it down into the to kind of the features in the apps. We've already talked about the camera. I think they're doing a good job on the camera. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think they're doing a good job on is security. Um, oh, you yeah. know, we've got the face ID on some phones, touch ID on others. Ideally, uh, I would like to see both on the phones i think it'd be great if we could have two ways to to enable or even require both if we had a phone that we really wanted to keep secure but in terms of overall security you can tell that you know privacy and security are important to apple and i think they've uh, they've continued to put effort into that every year it's a huge deal for them i'm going to put a link in the the notes apple has this great uh, apple platform security website and you can read about hardware, software, services, network stuff, on and on. And 
you know, we're, you know, David, we're not necessarily experts in in this field, but I firmly believe that Apple does this better than anybody else at the consumer level, and that my data is safe on my phone. And you know, I use a passcode, I use Face ID. I don't necessarily worry about if my phone, you know, is, you know, I leave it in an airport and it gets stolen. I never see it again. I know that I can you know, wipe it remotely. Like all those features really make me feel comfortable having, you know, so much of my business on my phone, all of my photos, guys, iCloud photo stuff. So like all my photos are on it, all my email, all my contacts. That's a big deal. Our lives are on these phones and Apple is extremely aware of that. And I think they do a really good job at communicating what they do to keep all that stuff safe. No, I agree. And I think that that continues to be a priority. So that's good, you know, and, and I just like, you know, even like when they added the ability to insert passwords um, inside applications, they did that in a way that let people like our sponsor, one password plug into it. Because I think more than trying to show off their software, Apple's just trying to make things more secure. And no matter which way you want to go about making it secure, they want to give you a way to do that the stuff where you can have your phone remote wipe itself, the stuff where you can have your phone wipe itself after 10 unsuccessful logins, all that stuff, I believe kind of points towards Apple's security and privacy North star, which I think increasingly in the next 10 years is going to be a bigger deal than it has been in the last 10 years. I think so too. It's at the forefront of, of so many things and, and when it counts, you know, when Apple's got to go up against, governments and you know agencies and things like yeah. that they they do what they can to protect their customer data yeah and you know tim cook and others have said that they're not in that business and you said earlier that a lot of advertising companies require data to fuel that engine right google facebook twitter these companies who who run on advertising um i know like i own a company that runs on advertising we don't have any information about you dear listener so podcasting is very simple but you're talking about out on the uh, out on the web. It's 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 just uh, the wild west, and even there, Apple has built things into iOS and into Safari in particular to keep our information private from from those entities. And I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I do. Am curious, just kind of looking forward on the iPhone. At some point, there is going to be a country that says, if you want to sell these in our country you're going to have to give us a backdoor. Yeah. I'm a little surprised it hasn't happened yet, honestly. And I'm just curious to see what happens when that happens, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I would hope that Apple would, would say, well, nice knowing you. <laughs> yeah. You know? uh, too bad for, for your citizens. But, uh, you know, I, I would hope that's what they would do. But uh, they don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Who knows? Uh, I'm glad I don't have Tim Cook's job. Let's just yeah, me too. <laughs> just say that. Um, wh- what about some of the other parts of of iOS? You know, so we've talked about security and connectivity and and the camera. Uh, what about some things like you know the Today View, the home screen? You know, the sort of like fundamental elements of iOS. Do you have any thoughts on on how they're doing today with that stuff? I I, I would put those in the category of good. You know, like the Today View, I don't know if the listeners have been using Today View much, but I, I put a all shortcuts home screen on my phone. I'll, I'll put a um, 
I'll post my home screen this week at Max Barking. Put a link in at the uh, on the show notes. It's, okay. My my home screen right now is bananas. Did I send you a picture of it? We compared it recently on the show, I think, uh, and I remember it being. It it looked like something that a wizard put together. Yeah, it's really weird. Uh, I'm texting it to you right now, but the um. So as a result, I I also find that I use the today today view more because I swipe over like I, my most recent podcast show up there. There's there's other ways to quickly navigate using the today view. I think that's something people should look at carefully. The um, uh, shortcuts I've talked about enough, but I'm very happy with the progress of shortcuts. In one hand, I'm a little um, sad. On the other hand, I feel like that they don't have the same system access that we had with Apple events on the Mac on iOS. And because without that, it's going to limit what you can do. Mm-hmm. Did you get that, that screen? I, I did. It's just a bunch of white icons. And then you yeah. have calendar, OmniFocus and Basecamp in the dock. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. You should write this up because this, <laughs> I don't know what to make of this. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would frustrate you. Honestly. <laughs> I, I would lose my mind, but that's okay. We're, we're different people. It is so much better. Anyway, um, the uh, so I, I feel like they've made progress. That one of the ones I don't before we move into the stuff that we're not as happy with in the operating system made by Apple, I think we have to give a shout out to Safari. Um, it was the original mobile browser that that didn't suck, and um, it, I feel like that stagnated for a while. But just in the last year, we've got a lot of progress there too. Yeah, the other day I was on my phone and someone had sent me a link to to I forget what it was, but. I suddenly remember that Mobile Safari has a download manager now. I was like, oh, look at this. I can save this file into files. Like, what an idea. And it, it really is fantastic. And with iOS 13, this is not the iPad episode, but they've done a lot of stuff to make the iPad version closer to the desktop. It all yeah. syncs everywhere. Yeah, Safari is like sort of the the unsung hero of iOS and because it powers so many other things, right? You're in Tweetbot and you click a link, it's going to load in that Safari view. Like it, it is everywhere, and that team is just um, really on it. That was one of the the few sessions I got to at WWDC. Uh, I was able to to make it into a, a couple of sessions, and that was one of them was about uh, mobile Safari and security, and talking about sign signing with Apple and all those things. And like it was just really impressive how deeply they think about these features, and that security and performance are like hand in hand. And the way they think about things. And I, I, you know, I use Safari full time now, such away from Chrome uh, sometime last year. And it's really been great. Yeah, agreed. They, uh, you know, they just done a good job with that. Now, I've got a second category here of parts of the iPhone OS that are, I'm not, I'm not really negative on them, but I'm not necessarily positive on them. Okay. Either they're kind of just okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, In that, the first one I would put is Maps. I feel like Maps is not, not got there yet, you know, and um, yeah, it it is a little frustrating. It is on one hand, the app I really like. I like some of the features in the app, I like the way that generally the, the way it's laid out, but the data can just be so hit or miss. I, I was recently in Dallas uh, for a weekend and I used Google Maps for the drive down there and sort of around Dallas. But then one evening I went out, I was like, well, let me just see what Apple Maps is like. It turns out they had basically everything right, but I was like, man, Google Maps just makes some of this stuff so much more fluid. And, you know, I go back and forth on what I use and they both have pros and cons, but like Apple, it's a big deal that Apple's in this and they need to continue to focus on it. You know, right now they're, they've been rolling out new data 
across the U.S. And I don't think we have it here in Memphis yet, but I, I've I've used it in other parts of the country, and it's really good. But man, they got to get that out to the rest of the world. Like I don't know the resources they're spending on data input into maps, whatever it is, they should spend more. They should do more because Google is just ahead of them in a lot of areas. I feel like this is one for me that's on the verge of being a positive in the operating system. They have made a lot of progress on this. Um, you know, they've got the, the ability now to show the lanes you needed to be in. I was driving in LA the other day to a meeting and it, you know, the, now it shows you the number of stoplights before your turn. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so it maybe you don't have that data where you're at yet, but the uh, for me it's it's great because it's like you can see three traffic lights and then your turn, and that in LA where they've got a bunch of little streets in between lights, it just makes it really easy. So I feel like they're they're trying and they are pushing, but there's just something about it that doesn't feel quite there yet. I, I can't even really put my finger on it. Maybe let us know in the forums if you agree, but I feel like there's just it could be better. And from Apple, I just expect superior software. I expect it to be obviously better than Google when I open it. And it's just not quite there yet. I can't imagine the amount of work that goes into this, but it's interesting too, that you can actually take part in that. So I don't know how many people know this, but you can actually leave feedback uh, in the maps app. So I wrote a blog post about this years ago. I'll, I'll dig it up for the notes where there was a baseball stadium in Memphis that got torn down like decades ago. And it was, it was a point of interest on Apple maps. I was like, that is like a field. Like that hasn't been there since I was a kid. And I, um, it was torn down in 2005. Okay. So I found this post. So it's been torn down 12 years at the point that I wrote this blog post. And I filed information in Apple maps that, Hey, this is uh gone. And you get a notification back that, Hey, this location was removed. And sure enough, they had, removed it, which was really pretty cool. And so, you, you know, if you have that, that, that pet peeve, like every time you use Apple Maps, you know this one thing is wrong, you can take part and make it better for everybody. And that's kind of fun to do, but, but they, they, like, I agree with you. They've got to do more. They've got to, they got to be in this game. Got to do it. In terms of data reliability in Southern California, at least, it's been solid. I mean, I, I haven't, I can't think of the last time it gave me bad directions, but I feel like the software end of it still needs work. But anyway, so th that's something that is emerging, at least for me. Another one that's emerging, but not really in the category of good yet, is reminders. And we talked about notes earlier, how Apple took an app, which was terrible, which was not even just terrible. It was a laughing stock. You know, remember that font they used and just everything about it was terrible. It was bad. And, and they turned it around. However, they still have textured paper. I, there, there's an asterisk. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Can I just talk about that for a second? If you use Apple Notes, just look at that textured paper background and, and ask yourself why. Look at it in dark mode. It's terrible in dark mode. Well, when they switch to dark mode, I'm thinking, oh, this is great. Now they'll finally remove the texture because nope. there's no there's no way they'd put textured paper in dark mode. Nope. They made textured dark paper. They made, anyway. Yeah, everyone's favorite kind of paper. I don't know. Oh, boy. I feel like maybe Steve Jobs said, Tim, you can have the job so long as you make sure there is always textured paper and notes. <laughs> it's like the one nod to the old design. Yeah. 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 I, I'd rather we have leather and find my friends than, <laughs> than yeah. the, the textured thing. 
It will be an interesting year, though, to see if Apple continues to put effort into reminders like they did with Notes. And that, you know, I know that like you you tried reminders and it didn't really work out for you. Maybe they'll fix some of those problems and, and they'll become more competitive next year. And file management still is, um, you know, it, it's it's so much better. And this is really more of an, an iPad discussion, but even on, on the phone, file management is still kind of iffy. There, there's some low-hanging fruit there for sure, especially if you use Dropbox instead of iCloud. Some of that navigating back and forth can be clunky, and some of the basic things that we're used to in Finder aren't there yet. I agree with you. I put this in the okay because they've made so much progress over the last few years. I mean, like, we didn't even have yeah. a Files app, what, three yeah. or four years ago. Like, yeah. uh, so they are they are doing more, but they, they need to keep that up because file management is one of those things that if you want this to become a, a more traditional computing platform – or you want traditional computing people to use it more, then this is something that you have to address because people have these needs. They're very real. And on one hand, applaud them that things like Dropbox and these other third-party providers do plug in so well because there's a world where Apple could have just said, this is just for iCloud. And if you don't use iCloud, too bad. So I applaud that, but they need to keep pushing it to your point. Now, uh, I have only one app in the category of bad native apps. I, I was really stretchy and I couldn't find anything else that really just makes me angry. Did you have any more than this one I have listed? I My list matches yours exactly. <laughs> Apple Mail. I mean, Apple Mail. Like, yeah. Okay. So this is the love-hate thing with Apple Mail. I still use it every day. Me too. I know that there's a million apps out there. If you listen to the show, you know that about every year I rage quit Apple Mail and I try them all. And I go through this this voyage where I ultimately end up back at Apple Mail because the one thing Apple Mail does well is it sends email and it receives email. <laughs> Some of those other apps, even though they've got a ton of great features, fail at that mission, you know. Um, so, but Apple Mail just feels so stagnant. I mean, it's like giving like this. Was, I was just doing something the other day, and I wanted to save a link to an email. On my Mac, I can do that. I have an Apple script. I type e-link anywhere in my Mac, and it creates a hot link to the uh, currently selected mail message in Apple Mail. There's just no way to do that on the iPhone. But if I create a reminder from an email, it does embed a link. So it, it has the ability to create links. It just doesn't give it to me. <laughs> you just got to switch to reminders, clearly. That's that's the hook. Yeah, I mean, it's just that you know, it's dumb, you know, and it's like, and that is something that a lot of people would want to do. And, you know, and, and also, you know, there, there's a bunch of stuff that people do with email these days that Apple Mail just ignores. And, and I feel like if they could, maybe I want my cake and eat it too, but if they could keep that stability and make some progress toward those additional modern features, I don't think we need a rewrite of the app. I don't think we need it all in one year. In fact, as I understand it, the app kind of has been rewritten because they had a huge focus on security with your email and stability. Rendering email is not the easiest thing in the world. It's, it may seem like it, but it's not. Um, so they fixed a lot of the things under the hood on it from what I've heard. But now it's time to start bolting some Chrome on this thing. And and I would really like that to happen soon because right now I feel like this is this app is looks nearly identical to the app that shipped with it in with the original iPhone. Other than the phone app, it may have changed the least. Yeah. I mean, was we've gotten, I know people are going to send me screenshots of all the digital features, but they they haven't kept up. No. No, if you look at what the third-party apps are doing 
clearly there's a lot of features out there that people want and are using or those third-party apps wouldn't exist that Apple should, should look at and, and borrow some ideas. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Booz Allen. Modernizing for the future is a challenge, especially for larger organizations. You may need to integrate legacy systems with new technology. You may need to incorporate AI and analytics to work more efficiently and make fast decisions. And everyone needs new ways of thinking to move to what's next, whether for government or commercial goals. Booz Allen understands, and they're helping some of the world's largest organizations modernize. They understand the missions of the government and industry and the need to adapt to constant change. They provide open source solutions so clients can integrate innovation from anywhere, whether from visionary startups to major contractors. Plus, they're helping clients power new technologies with analytics. And because security is everyone's priority, they integrate their capabilities with intelligence-grade cybersecurity. With Booz Allen, integration means putting you in control of innovation. Integrate, innovate, get it done with Booz Allen. Learn more at boozallen.com slash relay. That's boozallen.com slash relay. And we'd like to thank Booz Allen for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Continuing on the software front for uh, another little bit, what about third-party apps? What about the App Store? This is something that didn't even come on the original iPhone, but now it's really the reason the iPhone has become so many things to so many different people. I mean, you pick two humans on the planet, I'm not sure they would have the same exact set of apps installed because they let you use your phone, let you mold your phone into the tool that you need it to be. If you're a photographer, you can load up with photo apps. If you're, you know, uh, a musician, you can load up with apps for tuning instruments and playing music and, you know, reading all these things. It's just amazing what you can turn your iPhone into. And for me, and maybe it's a lack of imagination, I don't feel like there's like any major categories at this point really missing. Like if I can think of something, it tends to be at least one, if not more than one good option on the app store. Yeah, it, the, I I was thinking about the whole idea, you know, when we're talking about the state of the iPhone is what is the state of app innovation? Like I remember the first time I loaded drafts and my mind was blown, right? It's like what is this? It's like a text editor made for an iPhone that solves the problems that you get from a mobile device but also adds automation. I mean, it was like it was such a kind of out of the box solution to writing that it's something I never would have thought of. And, it, and I, I love the idea of innovative apps. And for me, you know, you know, my kink is the productivity stuff, right? I just want as much interesting productivity software as there is. There's a lot of it out there now. I mean, there's stuff in there when you take a moment of mindfulness, it grows a digital tree on your iPhone. I mean, all this weird stuff that people have come up with over the last, you know, 10 or however many years, are we getting innovation still on the iPhone? Um, I think they're still out there. I, I do think one of the reasons Apple keeps banging the AR drum is they want a new kind of, they want a new phase of innovation, but I think it's the wrong platform for it. Um, mm -hmm. But but it has definitely slowed down. Like, you know, now that the iPhone has done, you know, destroying the ride sharing industry and building a new one and, you know, changing the way we board airplanes and, and do our banking and deposit checks in the bank. It's done so many different things. I don't feel like the the rate of innovation is high as it used to be. I, I tend to agree with you. And I, I don't know if that's a, a good or bad thing, but I think it is definitely a sign of a mature ecosystem 
that it was all green pastures for so many years. Like if you were the first one to build, I don't know, a podcast client because no one else had done it before, like that was a big deal. Now there's lots of them. And so it has really now become a story of competition and like features and designs that really meet the needs and desires of different subsets of the audience. And we live in a world where there can be five or six good podcast clients on the iPhone and they all do things differently and you can find the one that works the way that you think and that sort of thing. And in a way that's better because you can really get exactly what you want, exactly what you need where, you know, in the past, maybe you were sort of stuck with the only option in a category. So there's pros and cons to both. And uh, I'll have a link in our developer round for our developer roundtable episode we did a few months ago because we spoke a lot about the business side of this. And in this really packed ecosystem, the App Store has tons and tons of apps. Like, how do you how do you build a business on that? How do you how do you deal with the fact that in app purchase and subscription is the model now? Where at the beginning it was all paid up front. Like all those changes are all like this other side of the coin to the idea of like there's more and more choice and there's apps that come and go and businesses that come and go and there's fads in the apps like all this stuff that was really hard to imagine at the beginning. And it's really shaped what the iPhone is. Like you really, I don't think you can have a conversation about the iPhone success apart from the app store. I also think that it seems to me like the monetization model has settled. I mean, none of us were super happy about the subscription model becoming the primary model. I think at some point Apple decided that they're just not going to put upgrade fees in for software, which was the traditional model. I don't know why they decided that, but they did. And I feel like consumers and software developers are now kind of on board with it. And, you know, we're going to be careful, but we're going to subscribe. People have had to figure it out, right? And yeah, and we can see apps that do it well and apps that don't do it well and developers have to adjust things. But it is all... Uh, good i think this question is ultimately good for everybody because developers can keep building their apps and if they launch a subscription and they don't keep building their apps they don't keep improving the market will punish them for it and there wasn't really a mechanism for that before to keep developers sort of accountable for ongoing support and you know i know that's hard if you're a developer yeah. i'm not trying to, to downplay that but from the customer perspective you now have a a more one-to-one relationship with what you're paying for and what you get and that i think is good for everybody I had lunch with a, a developer friend at WWDC who told me that, you know, now that he has a subscription model for his company, that they're going to stay in business, that they were considering shutting it down and they have a business model now that works for them and they're planning for the future. And it's an app that I like. So I'm glad that it worked out, you know? Um, so, I mean, there's two sides to all of this. And, but, but the bottom line is I think for a state of the iPhone show, I would say that, this is it. I don't think it's, I don't expect a bunch of disruption as to the monetization model in the coming years. I don't either. All right. What about, um, you know, as part of the iPhone, I, like I said, I do think we need to talk about Apple services as a separate state of show at some point, but what about just in general services integration in the iPhone? I think Apple's doing a really good job here. Uh, I think that the the sort of the 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 meme, if you will, that Apple is bad at cloud services I just don't think that's very applicable anymore. Yes, there's areas to improve. And yes, there are things that are frustrating. But on the whole, I think that iCloud has come a really long way. And I think that you can really rely on it day in and day out and and not get burned. That's not to say, again, it's not to say that's not perfect, right? It's, we've all had issues with a note not syncing for some reason or a calendar invite just not showing up or 
and they need to continue to improve it. But I think on the whole, I've been pretty happy with iCloud over the last several years. I use it for for tons and tons of stuff, and I, I generally just trust that it's doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah, I do. Too. An interesting thing about iCloud is just the number of services incorporated into that name. You know, it's like oh yeah, their Dropbox competitor is a small part. You know, they also have. Uh, calendar sync and contact sync and music sync and you know it, it just means so many things so when someone says iCloud sucks it may mean some small part of it isn't working for them but that doesn't mean everything else isn't working so mm-hmm. it, it is a uh, and I don't know that I would have done it any different if I were Apple I think you want to kind of keep this stuff simple but if you look back in years past it was just accepted that Apple couldn't do cloud sync well I mean remember um, uh, what was the name of the service um mobile me mobile me but they had that there was like an app you could put on your desktop that was like a cloud sharing yeah uh, service. there was like iDisk you could iDisk yes yeah. I, I remember thinking when i understood iDisk it was even it was before things like dropbox even existed so it was really the first person to say here's a place that you can put things that are going to show up everywhere and i'm like this is amazing and i was thinking i'd be putting all these pdfs and things in it and then i put a text file in it and I felt like there was a mouse that was delivering each one and each zero. Oh yeah, um, in the file to some server somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. It was oh man, it was terrible. But they they've come a long way with this stuff. They oh agree. yeah, it, it, it's it's pretty fantastic. And one thing I've always really respected about the iPhone in particular. This is true on the Mac as well, but that Apple lets Google accounts, Exchange accounts regular IMAP or, or CalDAV, CardDAV accounts, access to the first-party application. So for, for me, the, about the only part of iCloud I don't use is the email. I use Gmail for my personal email. I use G Suite for my company email. And they're just first-party, you know, like they're in the first-party mail app. They're in the first-party contact and calendar app if I turn those on. And they've always let these other companies play at the table. And I think that's great. It's the way it should be. Now, iCloud can reach into parts of the OS that these others just can't because iCloud is made by Apple and you're not going to be able to back up your phone to Google Drive. You're not going to be able to, you know, sync uh, photos with Dropbox natively. Like there are pros and cons um, to to that sort of approach. But if you do want to use other services with or instead of iCloud, it's relatively easy to do so, at least for the the major main things, which is important. Apple needs to to keep that as open as possible. And that, and now that they're fixing the the laptop keyboards, the drum that I will keep banging against Apple is, you've got to make this stuff. You've got to raise the minimum, uh, the free count tier, mm-hmm. and you've got to make this stuff easier for people to get into. I mean, I, I think most people should not have to pay for it. And, um, you know, it, you, now that you've built this thing, you need to be using it on all devices. And Yeah, and I think that is a problem with iCloud in particular. If you have it off on an iPhone you, or you come to an iPhone fresh, like it's a little confusing to onboard onto iCloud where like, or like some of the UI is confusing. Like when I moved to my new Mac, like photos that it was uploading 40,000 images. Like, well, you're not really uploading them. You're just confirming that what's local and what's on the cloud is synced. But the UI doesn't tell me that. And like, there's a lot of that sort of polish that Apple really needs to do around the edges of iCloud where it touches iOS, where it touches macOS to 
make it more clear about what's happening. And I understand that's hard because iCloud is sort of like this confusing thing that does all these. I mean, if you look at the iCloud webpage, like it goes on and on and on about the features of it. But Apple needs to make it easier for people to understand what's happening and where their stuff is. And and if if there's a process going on, you know, what that process is doing, how long it takes, all of those things should be more easy to understand uh, for the you know, for the user who is experiencing it, maybe not even for the first time, but, you know, experiencing it in a big way. And honestly, it just shouldn't cost money with these phones, at least at some, it should be easier to get in free. I I don't know. I, I know that kind of um, competes with their, their goal of raising services revenue. And I know that, you know, you still have to make wall street happy, sadly, when you're a publicly traded company, but it just feels inconsistent with the Apple I know. And you, as someone who used to work in the Genius Bar, you know what it's like when someone shows up and they lose their pictures. You know, it's it, like it's terrible. Yeah, it, it is. And the the photos in particular, I think they need to do something about. But the the flip side of all of that is that while you do have to pay for it, you know, it works. The, it, it works, right? Like you get yeah, what you yeah. pay for, right? Like I've never yeah. had an issue where like it doesn't understand how much space I paid for. All of a sudden, I can't explain where my like that yeah. management stuff is all pretty good. Even the deal of like upgrading your space or downgrading what you don't need like even all of that is pretty well laid out so i give them i give them props for that but uh but you're right and uh, especially when it comes to photos they're the most precious things on these devices like i don't care about anything on my iphone except the photos really i mean if you really held my feet to the fire that's what i care about right if 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 the house was burning you know 15 years ago you would go get the photo albums on your way out the door um, now, at least if my phone's in my pocket, I have them all, which is awesome, but, uh, I pay for iCloud and I trust that it keeps them all safe and sound. And I would, I, I just wish everyone had that sort of peace of mind about it. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. You know, Apple does have services beyond iCloud and uh, I think iCloud is the most, like the most obvious one to talk about in this episode because it's what powers so much of the iPhone experience. But if you look at, you know, Apple Arcade, uh, Apple TV plus, the iPhone is a is a, a first party client for those things. You know, the Apple Arcade games, a lot of them are fantastic on the iPhone. Uh, if, if you have an iPhone 11 Pro, you know it's got HDR and these crazy speaker system, and like it really makes the TV experience enjoyable, at least for watching on a phone. And the phone is the driver of so much of that stuff. And I think Apple's done a good job with all of that. I have some uh, concerns about some of that, which we'll talk about in the next segment, but. The iPhone is like right at the table with its bigger siblings when it comes to Apple's growing portfolio of services beyond just iCloud. Agreed. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Debit and Credit, the personal finance app. It is a new year, and it's the perfect time to get things like finances, the organization around finances, all of that in order. Like we've all used traditional finance programs. They're clunky. They're on pleasant to use. They have a bunch of buttons and radio boxes and dropdowns that just get in the way. Well, debit and credit was designed with simplicity in mind. You can get reports that provide a clear picture of your financial position. And every report is simple to read. It's easy to understand. It answers questions like, what do I spend my money on? You know, where does it go every month? What will happen to my wealth in the future? These sort of questions can really lead to clear, good decision-making and debit and credit provides you with that information. 
You can budget expenses and schedule future transactions. The app is available for iOS, the Mac, watchOS. It's built with a focus on privacy. Data is synced via iCloud. It's not saved anywhere else. It's not going to some server you're unaware of. It's all staying on iCloud and on your devices. If you want, you can share your data with family members, spouse, a parent, just like the Notes app. This app is actively developed by an indie developer. So new features for iOS and macOS are quickly adopted. In fact, one of the latest updates is you can unlock the app with the Apple Watch if you're running it on a Mac. And you can use your iPhone to scan a receipt and save it into the Mac app, which is a really cool trick. If you want to get your finances in order, you want to get them in shape for the new year, go to debitandcredit.app slash MPU. Download the Mac app and start a free one-week trial. Once again, that's debitandcredit.app slash MPU. Go check it out and find out where your finances stand. Our thanks to Debit and Credit for their support of this show and Relay FM. So what about the future, David? Where do we think the iPhone is headed? Uh, I think it's going to continue to be stable. That makes sense. I don't think we're gonna, gonna, going to have as many real exciting changes in the future because it's such a big part of Apple's revenue. They can't take a lot of risks with it. But I also think it's going to continue to evolve. I have some some specific sort of things that I want to touch on here. Uh, one is about the services that we just spoke about. Apple, you know, there's some rules in the App Store about using push notifications for advertising, and that's sort of held at different regards for different apps. It seems like it's not really uniform. But Apple itself has used the iPhone and the apps on the iPhone as sort of billboards for Apple services. So the TV app will tell you about Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, the music app will tell you about Apple Music if you're not signed up. And now I, I use those services, so I don't see those those screens. But I know people find those screens frustrating. You know, if they if they know they don't want to use Apple Music, there's not an easy way to tell it. Just hey, stop telling me about this. You know, that Apple sort of putting your services their services in front of the users more and more. And I worry over time what that will do if that feels dis- distasteful on a thousand dollar phone. Um, I wish Apple would give users more control over. If I, I don't want to see reminders about these services. It should be an easy way to turn that stuff off. I just I just worry about that if people are gonna get sick of it over time. And and now that Apple is a TV company or a, or a network company, I feel like it's going to be very tempting for them to do that. Oh, it is, uh, and and I understand why. I mean, they the services are the future of the company as the iPhone sort of levels off. But I think they need to do it as tastefully as possible. The other thing that I want to talk to you about too is like form factor changes. So the iPhone has gotten much bigger over time. Look, if you if you pull an original iPhone out of the drawer, it is hilariously yeah. tiny. Like it it feels like a toy. And for me at least the iPhone 11 Pro is the size that I want. I don't the Max was too big for me, but I liked the you know the 6, you know, the plus and all those plus phones. But there are manufacturers out there, Samsung, Motorola, others that are working with you know, foldable form factors. Microsoft has shown off some dual screen devices. So they're not fold. The, the screens don't fold, but the devices around them fold. Do you have any interest in that? Do you think Apple has any interest in that? I think I could see myself interested in a foldable phone, just not the ones that are currently being sold. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the technology needs to get further. Um, 
the current ones are very, you know, they they really feel more more to me like prototypes than a marketable device. And I, I granted, I've only spent time with one in a store. Uh, you know, like Mike bought one. I know, uh, but the um, but it, it feels to me like it's just not there yet. But if Apple could get it thinner, and you could fold it, um. What was that Westworld? Do you I don't know if you watch Westworld, but I, they, I um, didn't. It's it's been on my list to watch forever. <laughs> Eventually, I will get to it. I'm not sure I can recommend it. It 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 made me sad about humanity, so I didn't mm. finish it. Yeah, <laughs> but the uh, but the um, I did really dig the technology, and they had a thing kind of like the size of an iPhone, but it would unfold. You could fold it like once, and it'd be like twice the size of the iPhone. Then it would fold again and be four times the size of the iPhone. So it was like a a device that could go from being a small device to a big device and it all fit in your pocket. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in the future, that's a thing. It, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's hard to predict stuff. I mean, it could just as easily be everybody puts on a pair of glasses and they have like a, a wall size screen that they sure. look at. Um, but the, uh, but either way, um, it's interesting to me. I don't think it's going to be anything that the technology is a place where anytime soon Apple's going to start making them. Yeah, you know, it'd be fun to watch this stuff, but I'm I'm not super excited about it. I was just talking the other night um, to a friend about you know the inevitability of gl- a glass product and whether or not it takes off. I said I could see myself as that. You know how we make fun of the old guys now that have have the flip phones. Yeah, you know? I could see myself being the guy saying I'm not going to wear those glasses because I like the idea of the privacy of me not wearing glasses all the time and. You know, people worrying about me taking pictures of them and that stuff. But the uh, then again, I'm such a technology nerd. I could also see myself the first one on board. Who knows? But it's interesting to see what's going to be next. But they they certainly have done a good job at what's currently the thing. You know, with Apple and the iPhone the last few years, they've continued to improve the hardware. The software is acceptable and good in some places and not good in other places. I feel like that is a theme right now. Apple needs to up its game on software across the board. As we do these um, state of shows, I suspect that'll be something we talk about a lot. I think it will be because I think it is pretty universal across their various platforms and and devices. And I would really like to see the form factor get sexier. I think we may see that pretty soon. I feel like out of all the stuff we've talked about, that that feels like it's on the horizon. It really does. All right. So state of the iPhone. For 2020, we did it. We did. Uh, let us know in the forums what you think about this sort of approach because we want to do this for the iPad, the Mac services, like Apple Watch. We're going to do this throughout 2020, checking in on, on the various uh, things. So let us know uh, with about any feedback over in the forums. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah, and where do you think the iPhone stands right now? Let us know. I'd be interested to read about that. Uh, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Um, go ahead and sign up for the newsletter. There's a uh, sign up in the uh, show notes for that. Thank you to our sponsors, 1Password, Squarespace, Booz Allen, Debit and Credit, and we'll see you next week.